0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read the story about the birth of Jesus. And, you know, everyone knows now that this took place in the city of Bethlehem. And when we talk about Bethlehem now, you know, we have, oh, Bethlehem, I mean, we sing songs about it, and we, you know, we, we, we have warm feelings for it, but back in the day when Jesus was born there, it was a little bitty nothing town that nobody cared about. I mean, that's just the truth, and the fact is that uh, people pass by it all the time and didn't think about it, and you know, I, I thought in my mind, I could, I would pick out a couple little towns around here and say, it'd be like you drove through blank. And then I thought, as sure as I do that, there's going to be somebody lives in blank, and they're going to be saying, what are you talking about, mine's a little, t- it's a beautiful little town. A king would be honored to be, so I decided, uh, y'all make up it in your own mind, it'd be like if you drove through blank town, and thought, man, this is a nothing little town, ain't nothing here, why would anybody want to live here, and you drove on through. And that's where Jesus was born. And we look back on it now, and we recognize how significant the town was and and the main thing was that it's because jesus was born there but you know bethlehem had kind of a a mixed history um there it's where jacob and rachel were, where benjamin was born and rachel died there in childbirth and rachel in her sorrow um, as as she recognized she wasn't going to live named benjamin the son of my sorrow and and abraham came in and And changed it and said, no, we're not going to call him that. We're going to name him the son of my right hand. And then later on, there were some, a couple of instances, there was one that started a war between the tribe of Benjamin and the other um, uh, tribes of Israel. And Benjamin was almost wiped out because of something that happened with uh, a couple that came from the town of Bethlehem. And then, you know, there was another instance where a a Levite from uh, Bethlehem was was filled with corruption and, and caused a lot of damage um, amongst the Israelites. And then later on, the the story kind of turned a little bit. I mean, he, David uh, was uh, was anointed there, and and even um, before that, Ruth came, and that's where she met Boaz, and the kinsman redeemer came and redeemed her. And then and then David was uh, anointed there in Bethlehem. But that's been if you're an israelite living there at the time that's been nearly a thousand years since something good happened in bethlehem and you know you drive you ever dream through some towns and it'll say like we were you know state champions in football back in 1923 (laughs) and that's it and you're like man ain't nothing good happened since then that's a long time to be looking back to the last good thing so a thousand years is a long time to look back to the last good thing that happened somewhere. But that's what Bethlehem did. They didn't have anything else. And so we're gonna read that story right now. If you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're in Luke chapter two, we're gonna begin in verse one. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that amazes me about the story of Bethlehem is, you know, we look back on it now and we know why it mattered, but at the time they didn't know. Nobody gave up a bed for Mary. Nobody recognized that, hey, the, the Son of God is about to be born here, the Savior of the world. Nobody recognized that. They were right there in the middle of it and didn't, didn't see it. You know, in this last week, our last couple of weeks, I came across um, something that I, I remember hearing about a long time ago. It was back in 2007, and it, and it's, it took place in Washington, D.C. at the busiest uh, train station there, and a, a, a street performer comes in to play the violin, and I want you to watch just just about a minute, and I want you to watch this this video clip of this street performer coming in and, and playing in this uh, in in this station. So, guys, if y'all can hit that. Let's see if it we'll see if it works. There we go. So what do you think? Nobody cares. They're like, what is this about? Well, what if I told you that that wasn't just an ordinary street performer right there? That was a guy named Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell is the greatest violin player in the United States, maybe in the world. And just a few days before, right down the road, about a mile or two down the road, he had performed a concert in one of the biggest venues in Washington DC and sold out in 30 minutes at $100 a seat. That's who's playing right there in, in the Washington DC concourse. And you notice how nobody even noticed. Nobody even looked over to the side. He played for a solid hour and a, uh, over a thousand people walked by and hardly anybody even looked over in his direction. The greatest violinist maybe in the world is playing and not only that he was playing a a piece by Beethoven which is considered the greatest piece of music ever written for the violin but one of the most complicated difficult pieces that you can play and so the greatest violinist maybe in the world is playing the greatest violin music in the world and the DC place was picked out because it had these great natural acoustics And not only was he playing the greatest music in the world, he was playing on an instrument, a Stradivarius violin that was built during a time by a man named Stradivarius. They're still widely considered the greatest violins ever made. And there were, scientists have studied all of these different things that where he got his wood was from a particular forest and it just so happened that the wood had some very peculiar properties that made it the greatest wood ever used for a violin. And out of that, there were like one or two trees that were even better than others. And this violin that Joshua Bell is playing there was from that set. It was maybe, they think it might be the greatest violin, that the greatest violin maker ever made. In 2007, when, they, when, they, when he bought this, it was worth three and a half million dollars that violin. now, now that Bidenomics has driven everything down it's probably worth like twenty million I don't know, but that was back in two thousand and seven dollars three and a half million dollars and you can't help but just think you know I, I like to think that if I was walking through there i would re- I would have realized something different was going on I mean when you you'd want to think but the thing about it is, is that when something like that happens, I mean, who would have looked over there and thought, oh man, that's the greatest violin in the world, playing the most expensive violin in the world, the greatest one ever made, playing the best, greatest violin. I mean, how many of us would have, would have even thought that? You know what we'd have thought? Man, that guy's good, but you know, how good can he be? He's playing at <laughs> a train station. He's got, he has the case. That's, that was one of the funny things to me, is, is he has a case open, and over the course of an hour, people drop change in there, equal to $32. <laughs> in a $3.5 million musical instrument case, they dropped quarters for $32 of play of a man who just a few days before got $100 a seat to play that same violin. But see, the difference was, they came expecting to hear the greatest violinist. They came expecting to hear the greatest instrument. But here it was in a place they didn't expect it. And they just totally missed it. And you know, it, that's exactly what happened when Jesus is being born. Because who would expect... Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Now there's a verse, Micah 5, 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. You know, that's one verse. And nobody was looking around thinking, hey, when's the next baby being born? Maybe that's the one. And they missed it. They walked right by. And you know, there was a crowd there. There was a census going on. There were people there. There wasn't any, anywhere for him to stay. So they're in a, in, a, in a manger, in a stable. Nobody would expect, oh, hey, there's, there's a child being born in the, in the barn back behind. So this must be special. Nobody thought that. People just walked on by and they totally missed the birth of God in the flesh. You know the second thing about it is one of the reasons I missed it, you know they're in Bethlehem, this is Joseph's hometown. This is where his family comes. And so there's a really good chance that there was family there. But he they still ended up with nowhere to stay. You know it tells us in Matthew 1 18 through 21. Son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all the way back in Isaiah, it says All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But nobody then knew that that was coming by Mary. All they knew is she was engaged to be married. She was betrothed, but they still lived. She still lived in her parents' home. Joseph still lived in his parents' home. They were separate. If they were ever together, there was somebody that was with them. And then all of a sudden, she turns up pregnant. And you know what? There's no record anywhere where anybody, you know, Joseph would have gotten his friends around and they're probably trying to make the best out of the situation. They want to encourage him. They're there to support him. And, and not one dude said, maybe this is the virgin birth talked about in Isaiah. Nobody said it. Because why would you expect? Mary was a, an unknown teenager. And she's gotten pregnant and even if she told people there's no record that she did I mean that'd be kind of a hard conversation to start wouldn't it hey I'm still a virgin Uh, you're pregnant but that's by the Holy Spirit this is going to be a special baby this is going to save the world oh sure cool thanks for letting me know I'll put that on the, you know, the baby shower gift or whatever. Fact of the matter, she probably didn't have a baby shower. She would have been shunned and embarrassed by her family. People would have thought when Joseph agreed to marry her, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe it was Joseph after all. Either that or he's dumb. Nobody would have thought that it was married. So you have a town with mixed history out away from everyone else. It's it's a nothing town. The last good thing that happened there was a thousand years before. And now there's an unwed teenage mother about to have a baby in a barn. (laughs) And even, even the barn, you know, when we go and we see a manger scene, it looks good, don't it? There's clean straw in there. There's lights, everything's glowing, the animals are all washed up, they don't poop. I mean, they, they, they never poop in the movies in the, in the manger scene. There's nothing there to worry about. But that wouldn't have been what it was, I mean y- y'all, even if you don't own land, you've been out, most of y'all have been in a barn. Animals poop all the time. Yes, that's right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through and spent an hour cleaning out stalls and I hadn't even got out the door, and they messed it up again. I mean, that's what they do. And those there are unique smells that go in barns, and you can't get them out even when you clean it out. They're still there. And so it looks all it looks all nice, but it, it was it was not. I mean, you could not have picked a a more humble place. If you'd have laid out 10 different options for where to have a baby, that one would have been at the bottom of the list. And yet that's where she's having the baby. Unknown, unmarried, teenage, pregnant girl. Having a baby right there. You know, the amazing thing is this. Part of the reason, I think, why no one could recognize it, is because no one was looking for it. Nobody's waiting for something that looks like that. Yeah, God had promised that there was going to be a Messiah coming. But you know, if it were me, i had been thinking, man, when the Messiah comes, we all going to know. It's going to be a special kind of birth. There's going to be people going to see him. We're going to know from the get-go. It's going to be the... Somebody of royal blood? It's going to be a big deal. But that's not the way God decided to do it. In Philippians 2, 6 through 9, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, I mean, God became a baby. There's, there's nothing more powerful than God. Nothing. And there's nothing more helpless than being a baby. And so the one who was the most powerful became the least powerful when he became a baby. I mean, when they're ill, they can't even turn themselves over. They can't feed themselves. They can't can't do anything. But he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all of the names. You know, one of the, there, there is this huge gap in the life of Jesus. You know, we know about his birth. And even up to, you know, a few years when he was a toddler. The, you know, when they fled to Egypt to flee the king who was coming and, and killing all the babies to try to eliminate what the wise men had told him was coming. And so we know a little bit about that. And then we know that, that he was a carpenter's son and so was a carpenter. And we know a little bit about when he's 11 or 12 years old when they went to the temple and, and the incident happened there. And then we don't know anything till he's 30 years old. You know, there's no books written about Jesus, the early years. He didn't do any miracles. The Bible tells us about what his first miracle was. Can you imagine being God and seeing all that you would have seen from the time you were 12 to the time you were 30 and knowing that you were God and you could do whatever you wanted to and, and yet choosing not to. To be just like us. You know, that's why when we go before God now and... The Bible tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our distresses and with our our temptations because he's been tempted in every way just as we have yet without sin. All those years of temptation, all those years of, of walking through life, dealing with people without sin, so that he knows he knows what it's like to be tempted he humbled himself i mean he could have been surrounded by soldiers he could have you know people he could have made it clear who he was people would have treated him different but he didn't as a matter of fact when he began his ministry and began to do miracles and he began to tell them who he was people had a hard time believing it because they just couldn't, they weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting God to humble himself and become flesh like that. You know, that's one of the amazing things about, about Christmas is, and, and I get it, I mean, it's cool. We, we do, in my house too, we got manger scenes and they look all good. And you got, you know, um, uh, ornaments that have Christian themes on it. You know, and, and it looks bright and cheery. And, and because looking back now, we realize that was a big moment. But it wasn't a big moment at the time. Jesus was born in, in humble circumstances, in scandal. He had to wait 30 plus years to prove that he was God. And all that time, you know, people counted months back then and they knew. He lived in a small town where word got around. He was humbled in obedience to God. And for that reason, we can know grace. 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You know, he set aside, man, can you imagine how hard that would be? I mean, you know, every week you can look at a Hallmark movie and see some prince who goes and pretends like he's not a prince and he's a normal person and, you know, meets the rich city girl who is taking a break from her career, you know, and they get married, whatever, but (laughs) can you imagine setting all that aside for 30 years? I mean, you, you, you've been God in heaven. You, when you walked, when Jesus walked around the earth, how hard would it have been to not tell somebody, Hey man, look at that. Look at those amazing mountains. Aren't they beautiful? Yeah, I made them. How hard would that, I mean, how hard would it be? Hey man, I just love the ocean, it's so, it's just good job, God, thank you, appreciate it. Because everything that was created, he created. You, You understand that? So everything that he walked on, he had created. Everything that he saw, he had created and he never once bragged about it. He had all these opportunities. You know, one of the reasons why even today, we have a hard time seeing God when God's working in other people or we see different things is because we're, we're just not really expecting it. You know, I can criticize the people in Bethlehem. I can criticize the people that, that saw Jesus grow up and, and go, how, how did you not see? But all the time, we walk right by where God's hand is moving and God's doing something and we don't see it. And we need to change the way that we look at things. You know, God is always moving. God's always moving. The thing is, a lot of times, we just don't recognize. It. We don't see it. Just like they didn't, there wasn't a bunch of people I mean, God went out and got some filthy shepherds to come see Jesus in the stable. And that's another thing, you know, when we see shepherds now, they look it all looks good, doesn't it? It looks kind of nice and everything and, you know, very pastoral and very pretty. But people did not view shepherds as, they were not like top flight in society. That's what you did when you couldn't do a respectable job. You went out and hung out with the sheep. And and some of y'all, I know you got animals, you've been around sheep, and you know, as it says in the King James, they stinketh. They stinketh a lot. And it's not the kind of job that people want. You can't go, shepherds could not go into the temple. They had to be gone and, and go through like 30 days of purification before they could actually enter the temple. That's some serious stink to get off. It takes 30 days. You understand? A long time. I mean, y'all had kids come in, and they take a bath, and you go back and do that again. That wasn't enough. I mean, now, they probably didn't use soap. You know that. But shepherds weren't looked at as the cream of society. He went out and got them to come in and look at Jesus. And that's the thing. He, God wants us to see what he's doing, but we have to have eyes that are open. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You know, one of the greatest encouragements about the story of Jesus and about who he is is knowing that, you know what? When we look around, we think, man, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm not important. I don't have wealth. I don't have prestige, guess what? Jesus didn't either. And God continually chooses to use people so that when God uses them, people can see that it is God in them and not in themselves. And so you might sit around thinking, man, you know, what, what can I do? You're asking it the wrong way. Instead of going, what can I do? You know, what can I do? And see what God can do in you. Because God has constantly consistently chosen the humble. You know when Jesse a thousand years before in Bethlehem was told by God to go to the house of Jesse. The uh, the, the prophet Samuel, excuse me, was told to go to the house of Jesse and anoint a king. He went and and he told Jesse to line up his sons well he trotted out a bunch of them and he went to the first one he said man surely this one's a king I mean he's a he looks like a king big stout dude good looking tall it's got to be him God said no it's not him then went to the next one Well, this one looks like I mean he's pretty good too he went all down the line wasn't any of them and he said well do you have any other sons well yeah we got one he's out tending the sheep they didn't even bring him in they didn't even bother to go get him. Y'all understand? He was like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody, somebody go get, get, get David in here. David was a little scrawny teenage kid who'd been given the worst job. That's why he was out with the sheep. And they brought him in and God said, this is the one. And Jesse's like looking up and down the line going, really? God said, This one has a heart like mine. And he chose him. If you've ever felt like you were the last person to get picked, you're in a spot that God can use you. God's not looking for people that think, Oh, I can do this, God. Just tell me what to do. I got it. God's looking for people that are going, Man, I'm not that talented. I'm not that strong. I don't know enough. God's looking for people like that to do amazing things. And you know what? The name of the town of Bethlehem is known all over the world now. Every year it's on the lips of people. They sing it in Christmas songs. They read it to their families on Christmas Eve when they open the word. It's preached about in churches all over the world. That city that was nothing is is one of the most, if not the most famous city in the world now. The name of Jesus' mother, Mary and Joseph. Nobody knew who they were then, but people know who they are now. It's the mother and father of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, I'm just going to throw this in here, this is for free. You don't pray to Mary. I get why that started, because you know what, when you, you need somebody to do something, they won't do it. A lot of times, well, go, go get their mom to get it, and mom will come in there, and they do it for them, right? So you think, well, man, if we pray to Jesus' mom, she'll get Jesus to do something that he didn't want to do, but Jesus is God. You don't pray to Mary. Mary's not God. Mary's a person like us. Is she blessed? Absolutely. And do we call her blessed? Absolutely. But I, there's, no, there's nothing in the Bible that even tells us she can hear your prayers. And she sure enough can't answer. them. Why would you even bother with that when you can enter into the throne room of God himself and present your requests? We have access into the throne room of God to ask for help in time of need. God himself Because of Jesus, we can do that. God's looking for those. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, man, there's nothing about my life that says I'm something special. Let me tell you something. God can use you. God can use you. And that's one of the great stories of the birth of Jesus. There's two parts to it. It's number one is that God was willing to humble himself in this little town to be born from a, an unmarried, pregnant, teenage girl and a carpenter who took her even though he didn't have to. He could have just turned her away. And they end up giving birth to the Son of God in a stable and laying him in a manger. God was willing to do that for us. He humbled himself for us. And now here's the deal. He still looks for the humble. He still looks for those that are humble. There's not one of us in here that if God chose to use us, he could do greater things than anybody in here ever imagined. You know what I really hope is in my latter days when I'm sitting around doing my old man talk, oh, I remember so-and-so, I want to be able to talk about some of the kids that grew up here and some of the, the, the families that God got a hold of right here and went on and did great things through. I want to be able to talk about them. Those are the war stories I want to tell. When I'm sitting around and in, in my rocking chair, and my big slippers or whatever. They'll be cool slippers because I'm going to be a cool old man. Y'all know that. But that's what. those are the stories I want to talk about. Because God seeks the humble. He sought it out when he found a place to, to be born. He sought it out when he found the vessel in Mary. He lived that life of humility. And then he saved the world. And then he saved us, those who know him, who are born of him, who are born again. We're about to enter a time of invitation, so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love And Father, I just pray, God, that you would use this time. Speak to those who need to begin a relationship with you. And Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for his birth and the circumstances of that birth. And Father, we praise you and we honor you and we worship you because of what you've done for us. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's a simple thing. There's three simple things you gotta do to have a relationship with Christ. You can know about Jesus, but you need to know Him. And here's how you come to know Him. Number one, you gotta admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You gotta ask forgiveness for your sins. The second thing is you gotta believe in Jesus. Jesus was not just a guy, He was the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. That's how we're able to ask forgiveness and receive It's because Jesus paid the penalty that we owed for our sins. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the wage for those who believe. And then the last thing is you have to confess Him as Lord. When you come to Him and ask forgiveness and trust in what He did for you on the cross you're beginning a relationship. And in that relationship, he's Lord of your life. And you know what? I know that's hard. I don't know about letting somebody be Lord. Why Why would you not want the person, the only person in this world that died for you to lead you? They obviously want the best for you. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says that if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're in right relationship and peace with God, and if you'd like to know that you're gonna be with him forever, you see, Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin on this earth, but also to give us an inheritance that will never fade. So if you'd like to know those things, I want to lead you in just a brief prayer of salvation. You can repeat this after me, or you can pray it in your own words, but pray it with me right now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me, and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life, and make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe he rose from the grave on the third day. So today I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, here's all I'm gonna ask you to do without anybody looking around. I want you to look up at me right now I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want to encourage you and I want to pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So I want to pray for you that looked up at me. And I also want to encourage you to tell someone. There's a number on your screen. There's also a QR code there if you want to open that up. A way to contact us to just to let us know that you prayed that prayer today so that we can be praying for you. And we'd also love to set up a time to talk whether it's on the phone or in person so that we can answer any questions that you have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We're not gonna ask you for anything. We're not going to um, put you on a mailing list you haven't committed to anything here at the church, we just want to talk to you and help you. Now, we do want you to find a good church. And if that's here, you're welcome. If it's somewhere else, that's fine. We still want to help you. Because it's about the kingdom and not about us. And so I'd encourage you to tell someone. And so right now, I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for those that made a decision today to trust you as their savior and lord and father i thank you that there are there are new brothers and sisters in your kingdom in your family father who are forgiven who have been cleansed and father who have committed to walk with you father help them to know how to walk with you help them to learn help them to find the right church the right place whether that's here or somewhere else where they'll learn the bible and be taught how to follow you. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of their spiritual journey. We pray blessings upon them this morning and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.